Welcome back to America's Talking. I'm Austin Berg. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by Jenna Spinelli. She is founder of The Democracy Group. The Democracy Group is a network of podcasts united around the goal of helping listeners understand what's broken in our democracy and how people are working together to fix it. It's organized and funded by the McCourtney Institute for Democracy at Penn State. Welcome, Jenna. Thanks, Austin. Happy to be here. So before we started recording, you mentioned that you were doing a bunch of new work around ballot initiatives, which I think is relevant as we approach uh, November. I'm so curious what you think the balance is of ballot initiatives. Uh, how easy should it be to get a ballot initiative that's meaningful on the ballot in a state? You have a place like California where, you know, there's a bedsheet ballot every every cycle of all these sorts of different propositions and initiatives. Some of them are total nothing that the legislature would ever pass. Some are some are more re, you know reasonable. Something you could see the legislature passing. I'm in a state, uh, Illinois, where we have very very it's very difficult to get any kind of meaningful initiative on the ballot what's the proper balance and what are the what what are the benefits and costs of doing something like that yeah so you really nicely teed up austin my new podcast series when the people decide that that question you articulated is one of the fundamental questions at the heart of this series and you know i'm in pennsylvania so we really don't have citizen led ballot initiatives at all. So I'm sort of seeing all this happen from afar. But, uh, it, you know, I really think that and I've heard from people since the show has come out that there's really a feeling that it's time to find or or refine the kind of grassroots nature or aspects of our politics, because, uh, you know, at a time when it, it seems like the the legislature is is gridlocked or tied up with its own incentives that might not always line up with what citizens want or where public opinion is. The, the courts are kind of going off in their own direction. Uh, you know, there's uh, people have said that, you know, courts aren't coming to save us. Legislatures aren't coming to save us. We as people have to take matters into our own hands. And the ballot initiative is one way to do that. And so I I see potential and, and we've seen campaigns that have expanded voting rights and made other democracy reforms, uh, increased minimum wage, um, done things like Medicaid expansion, um, a whole host of things, uh, marijuana legalization, of, of course. Um, but I, I do think, though, as you said, that it's possible for corporations or other bad faith actors to use the same process to to exploit it. We saw this, I think, with the, the gig economy bill in California. So um, I, I think that, uh, you know, people and, and states and, and organizations, you know, nonprofits, policy groups should be doing everything in their power to keep the tool in the hands of people uh, and, and make sure that you know, there can be that balance of, of initiatives that advance things that are, are, are good for democracy versus things that are maybe more anti-democratic or that, you know, favor, uh, you know, very few people as opposed to favoring the many. So uh, you obviously talk a lot about the state of American democracy. And I find that one thing I've noticed about the dialogue around democracy, when people say our democracy is under threat, uh, oftentimes I feel like they're saying it is under threat because, uh, we have a very large and vocal, um, group of people who dispute the legitimacy of our elections. 
for example. And um, I was reading a book this weekend over Independence Day. It was called The Winning of the Midwest. And it was about Midwest politics in the late 19th century. And there's a whole chapter only on how much people complained and disputed the results of elections in Midwest politics for you know decades. And somehow as a country, we've made it through that. Is the dispute of elections the existential threat that it's made out to be? Or do you find that it, that by singling that out, we're actually not addressing kind of maybe more sinister or, or more important things to talk about when it comes yeah. to undermining democracy? Yeah, I think there is definitely some truth to that. I, I think it's very easy to buy into media narratives and to get hyped up over things that, you know, citizens, you know, individual people really have very little control over. And so I, one of the reasons I wanted to make when the people decide is just to give people an idea that, no, like here are things that you can actually do. You can get involved in these issues and push for the change you want to see. But that said, I mean, I, I think the things that concern me more than just this broad threat of, of, of democracies under attack, I do think that there is something of a cottage industry of people writing articles and things yes. about this. So that's, uh, you know, maybe gone a bit overboard in in some cases, but I do think that there we've seen, you know, attempts to bring some of these ideas into the offices of secretaries of states and people who control the mechanics and the mechanisms of how elections are administered. And so those are the things that concern me more and don't get talked about as much because it's complicated. It's wonky. It's procedural. It's bureaucratic. Um, and so I really like organizations like VoteBeat um, that are kind of keeping an eye on these things. Um, and yeah, trying to to take that that deeper look into the the mechanics that are behind some of this rhetoric. Interesting. Um, when we, uh, man, I, I'm trying to get at is democracy threatened right now? And how much should people be thinking <laughs> about threats to democracy versus ways they can take action in their own community? Because what I think about is like, well, there's functioning democracies all over the place and people are voting on their property tax levy every cycle. And yeah, turnout's really bad, but um, what's the proper level of engagement people should have around this idea of democracy versus trying to affect change about the issues that they care about? Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, um, for my other show, I host Democracy Works. Um, we had, did an interview with somebody who who wrote a book, a, a scholar who wrote a book called "Democracy Is Fetish," uh, and I think that that sort of hits at some of what what you're talking about. Uh, and mm -hmm. I think that mm -hmm. you know we're all guilty of this, or people who work in this space are, are guilty of throwing the word democracy around or using it to mean everything, which means it means nothing at all. And so that that just becomes chaotic and, and confusing and, and problematic. But I, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, my, I cut my teeth in, in local news and, and local journalism. So my heart will always be at the school boards and the, you know, city council meetings and the, the town halls and like all of those types of things, as opposed to like getting fired up about whatever some senator from another state tweeted or something that, you right. know, I don't live in that state. I can't vote for them, um, but I can you know, make my voice heard in the place that I live. I can call my representatives. Um, I can get involved on issues that I that I care about through whatever 
mechanisms your particular state or municipality has to affect change. Mm. What would be a piece of advice you have for people who want to more effectively ga- engage with politics? Um, so first, uh, read your local news, find it, support it. Um, there's, uh, there are several, um, there's actually a lot of, of really interesting and innovative work happening in the local news space, both nonprofits and for-profit outlets. So two sort of umbrella sites I'll recommend people can check out both the Institute for Nonprofit News and Lion Publishers. Both of those list uh, local news sites that are kind of new startups um, that are popping up around the country. So definitely um, find those and, and get up to speed. Look at when your local meetings are, even if you can't go to the school board or to the the city council or whatever the equivalent of that is where you live. Um, They are required by law to post the agendas and the minutes and the all of the people who email them, they're required to post all of that online. So even if you can't physically go in person, you can at least read up on it and contact you know, whoever the, the, the staff are, um, and yeah, make, make your voice heard the, the people who show up are the ones that often make the decision. So, uh, you know, figure out what it is you're interested in, what your priorities are, understand the stakes and then show up in some form or, or another that you will feel far better doing that than, like I said, doom scrolling on social media about what's happening nationally or in the the broader political landscape. What do you think is the most common misconception about what democracy means in America? Like your, your point about fetishization, I think is really interesting. Mm -hmm. I heard someone comment recently about American politics as being uh, pornographic in a sense, Mm -hmm. because you observe it, you observe the, uh, an act that you are in no way really uh, you, you know, playing a part in at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and to the, to your point about like getting mad about what a Senator tweets in it, you know, in a state that is far away from you. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the biggest misconception people have about the role of democracy in our country? Uh, you know, I don't, I'm not really sure just because I, I think that, you know, democracy can mean so many different things to so many different people. I don't know that I could really say what's a misconception or not, but, but I guess maybe if I had to, to point to one and to continue this, this conversation we've been having is that it only happens in Washington or that it only happens in the state capital, or it only, it doesn't really, it's like something that happens over there, right? It's not something that happens in your town, in your organization. I mean, I also play in a community band, for example, and that is a a civic engagement type of activity. I am around a lot of people with whom I, I might disagree on everything else, except that we play the same instrument, but we are together and we have a common cause and a common goal that we're working toward. And that in and of itself, like that's the kind of stuff that, that, De Tocqueville was writing about, right? And that mm-hmm. is part of democracy too. So it is more than just strictly what happens in the, the realms of, of politics. Yep. Great. What do you think are the most anti-democratic impulses on the left today? And then maybe what are what are those same impulses mm. on the right? Yeah, I think on the on the right, it is the idea that 
well, I, I think we in the, the McCourney Institute has done polling on this there. The line comes up all the time when when we poll people on the right is we're not a democracy, we're a republic. Right. So there's disagreement on whether America even is a democracy. Um, so I think that is one thing on on the right. And I think and brief on- aside, what do you say to that? Because I, I, I obviously I hear that all the time when somebody says, actually, no, we're not. A dem- Why are we talking about democracy in the United States as a republic? Yeah, I mean, we we often point to, you know, the Declaration of Independence of the people by the people for the people. And, you know, we have added liberalism and institutions over time. But that same sentiment is is still there, uh, just maybe manifests itself or people have different conceptions of of how it manifests itself. OK, um, and now anti-democratic impulse on the left. What are you th- left. what are you seeing? Yeah. So I, I think that, you know, one tenant, of course, of of liberalism and of liberal democracy is protection of minority rights. And we've had hundreds of, of years of, of struggle in this country. There are some scholars and others who say that America didn't become a full fledged democracy until the Voting Rights Act passed in 1965. Uh, and so, you know, there's there's been a lot of, of ups and downs. But I, I think that some on the left maybe sort of take that protection of minority rights so far that it ends up alienating others or that it it detracts from what the goals are, right? Like protecting minority rights has to come in concert with policy goals or, you know, whatever else you're trying to to achieve. Uh, And so that, and, and, you know, whether that is just in, in rhetoric or actually in in legislation, I think differs depending on on who you're talking about and you know what the issue is. But um, I think that that impulse is there on on the left. You talked about de Tocqueville. I'm curious what you think the impact of declining religiosity is on American politics. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, I think about it more as from the the community aspect of it, you know, church is a place that you go to interact with people. And just like I was saying about the the community band, right, to find that that sense of common cause or common purpose. And so, uh, you know, putting the whole faith tradition part of it aside, like that's really what I think about more. The other things that churches do for communities and for the people in those communities and how churches are often the the backbone of of other of other aspects of of a community so for example you know our community band we rehearse in a church or we you know there's all these other things that churches do more than just have services you know once or twice a week um they really are pillars of communities and if people aren't supporting them then they're not able to in turn give that support to the other parts of the community mm. So you guys have a podcast network. That's the way that you're, that's one of the key, you know, pillars of how you're addressing this uh, challenge of, of American democracy in this topic. Why that medium? So I, I think as, as you likely know, and the folks at, at America's talking know that, you know, podcasts allow for nuance, they allow for longer form conversations, but the the thing that has always and still does addle my mind is it's such a self-selecting medium, right? So people are going to tune into content that they are in some way or another inclined to agree with. And so 
as a single podcast, you really can't break out of that. But as a network of shows that bring together diverse perspectives and opinions, we can maybe try to crack that nut a little bit. I'm not going to say that, you know, any one network is going to totally solve that problem. The the algorithms are also probably working against us in that respect. But um, to to be able to create conversations and to get people um, to see new perspectives and to even just understand some nuances that they might not have otherwise, I think that is one of one of the benefits of, of having a network. I see you have a Woody Guthrie poster behind you. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious about, um, that's really, Siri just popped up on my computer, by the way, because I think I said, I see, and now I'm saying, (laughs) and I'm reading text of myself saying Woody Guthrie Mm -hmm. poster. So we may have a Siri noise in a little bit here, but we'll see. Uh, Obviously someone who is revered in sort of the folk tradition in the United States and really brought back, uh, people think of him as a, figure of you know far back history but he himself was drawing on history you know far uh, further behind him what uh, what american traditions do you think are important that perhaps have been lost hmm. yeah i think just the idea and especially during the the pandemic of getting out of the house and doing stuff with other people that is not strictly <laughs> commercial it's not going to a restaurant or going to a concert or things that both of those things I love to do, by the way. Um, but, and I, and I'm very happy for the opportunity to, to be back to doing them. Um, but just having some space to talk to people and engage with what's happening, um, in, in a, in a way where there's the, the primary goal is not to make money in some way. And I think that that, I mean, we could have a whole other conversation about the decline of hobbies, right? And how, you know, I think for people in in our generation, I, I'm assuming you and I are roughly the same age, but, you know, it's everything has to be monetized. Everything has to be a side hustle. Everything has to be, you know, something you're doing to make money and you lose, there's only so much time in the day. So the more time you spend building your side hustle, the less time you're built, you're spending building community or, you know, engaging in the uh, the aspects of of democracy that are most close to you or, or most directly impacted. Jenna Spinelli, uh, this has been a great conversation. Thank you for talking. Yeah, thank you, Austin. It was a pleasure. 